know many of you, like myself, we've been pondering through this week some of the uh, uh, as some of the glorious things that happened on that first Christmas day. Uh, as we've been going through the story over this last few weeks, we've been considering the Old Testament and the promises that were given to the the fathers, the the prophecies that were made through the, the prophets. I've been considering the Christmas story and, and how, how it would have been received by some of those first people on, on that day, whether it was the shepherds, whether a couple of years later it was the, uh, a couple of years later it was the kings, the, or excuse me, the, the magi that came and, and worshiped Jesus, whether it was Joseph and Mary. Uh, what would it have been like as they considered some of the Old Testament promises and, and as they watched these things being fulfilled? And uh, this morning I come to, we like us to turn to the Gospel of Luke where we find the perspective of a young teenage girl and how she saw these things. R.C. Sproul once told a story of a visit he had made to western Pennsylvania where he had participated in a seminar at one of the hospitals there. And he recounted this. He said, I, I was sitting on a chair and watching what was going on in one of the wings of the hospital. And the head nurse was at the nurse's station and I noticed that when a doctor came through the doors, she, um, she brightened up immediately smiled at him and said, good morning, Dr. So-and-so. He said, I watched this dynamic, and then I watched the nurse leave the nurse's station and start walking down the hall. And coming up the hall was one of the laborers from the housekeeping department. And he was pushing a basket of soiled garments. He saw the nurse coming and lifted up his head to acknowledge her. And as he looked at her, she put her head down and walked past him. She didn't even, didn't even acknowledge him. She acted like he didn't exist. I watched his body language. His face sank. And you could see the hurt from the snub he had just received from his co-worker. You know, most of us have experienced something similar to that. We've experienced rejection before. We've been in the presence of others who felt like they were above us. Who obviously had been inconvenienced or tainted as if they had to, had to take time for us or didn't have enough time to take time for us. Perhaps you've been particularly hurt. Perhaps there's someone that you particularly admired, you respected them, but, but they made your triviality known to you. As I've been considering the, the life of some of the people that first experienced the coming of Jesus, I imagine that the parents of Jesus had probably experienced this same phenomenon in their lives. Uh, from what we know of them, they were likely poor. If you and I passed them on the street, you probably wouldn't have recognized Joseph and Mary of any, as anyone of any significance. They would have appeared like normal poor people that you walked by every day. However, they had similar dreams like others do, right? And Joseph and Mary... As Jews living under the tyranny of the Roman Empire, they had hopes of God's salvation, not only from their human oppressors, but also uh, from, from their slavery to sin. And they looked forward to the awaited Messiah. They were, they were like many others that had studied the Scripture, and they awaited God's promises that were given to the patriarchs and foretold uh, by the prophets. And so imagine, imagine the wonder when they were visited by angels. You know, here's just a common person that was like somebody that would push soiled garments down a hospital hall. A common person like you and I who sometimes have friends that 
that we spend time with that acknowledge our presence and sometimes have people that walk by you as if you don't exist. Imagine the wonder of Mary and Joseph, a couple poor people, a couple young individuals who all of a sudden were receiving the attention of the angels of heaven. And they were the first ones told of this strange way that God was going to save the world. And they would, they would be raising the Son of God. Let's turn our attention to God's Word this morning, and as we worship Him, let's turn to the words of Scripture and what He says to us here. And before we do so, let's just go to our God in prayer. Uh, Lord God in heaven, we, we thank You that You are a God who notices people. You created us, and You are so far above us. You are holy and infinite. You are perfect. You are wise. You are greater than anyone we've ever encountered. You are the Almighty. And yet You take notice of us. You, we, we're created lower than the angels, but you're mindful of each one of us. We ask ourselves, who, who are we? And yet you love us. We marvel at what happened with Mary and Joseph and the others who were visited by angels and who encountered the Son of God born into this earth. And uh, these commonplace people that were noticed by you and they realized the, the glory of, of receiving this attention. As we turn our attention to your words, I pray that you would teach us. I pray that you would soften our hearts. I pray that there would be something here that on this Christmas day as we encounter the story, I, I pray that our hearts would be changed. That we would learn to love you in a special, more particular way. Glorify yourself in our lives as we give attention to your word and what you teach us here. In Jesus' name, we pray and ask this. Amen. Well, the Gospel of Luke gives us a glimpse of what Mary experienced. Shows us a small glimpse into her mind on, on that, that day. Luke tells us in the first chapter that Mary went to visit her cousin Elizabeth. And while she was there, she was there for about three months of her pregnancy. And when she arrived, it was her, her cousin Elizabeth that exclaimed with a loud cry, said, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. In verse 43, she asked, why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And then verses 46-55, to Mary gives a response, which has become, to known, it's become to known as the Magnificat, which is just a fancy way of saying that she magnified the Lord. Uh, she gave glory to the Lord. Uh, some translations read that she exalted the Lord. Um, we might ask ourselves, you know, what does it mean, that, that this Magnificat, this exaltation? Uh, some of the words that we use today would be to glorify, to praise. Here at Dwitty Free, we express it in, in the phrase, we reflect the magnificence of the Lord. Uh, the word magnify, it basically means to make one great. Uh, to highlight the one who is already great and glorious. It, it means that one recognizes how incredible God is and we express it. It was appropriate for Mary to magnify the Lord. And it's appropriate for us today as we worship Him. As we open presents, as we celebrate with our family, as we eat marvelous food to magnify this great God, to express it. For us to say, God, you are great. 
And you might ask yourself, you know, how do we, how do we magnify the Lord? We can talk about how great He is, right? We, we can say God's glorious, and, and then we leave the doors and we go somewhere else and we forget all about all this, right? Or we can, and many do. But let's take one step further. Do we actually make God great in our actions and our thoughts? The way we treat each other, the way we consider one another throughout the day, the way we consider our God and, and as we give thought to Him? Do we, do we acknowledge, do we do things that acknowledge how great God is? And does what take place in the secret of our heart say, God, You are great? I, I love that Mary goes on and she doesn't, she doesn't toot her own horn when Elizabeth comes to her. You know, Elizabeth, her, her older aunt, her older cousin, basically comes and says, you know, why do I get this privilege to be in your presence today? The one who, who um, believed God when he spoke to her about these things. Mary doesn't say, oh yeah, yeah, look at how great I am. Look at all the wonderful things that God's doing in my life. And, and I get to be the mother of, of the Lord. She, she doesn't go into all these things, but instead she points to her Savior. And everything in this song that we read here points to how great God is. And that's why we call it the Magnificat, because she doesn't magnify herself. She doesn't let anybody else say, oh yeah. She points to how great God is. Everything points to her, her great expectations of what God is going to do. And she says, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. This hymn that she, she sings has three parts, all of which praise God for what He has done for His people. Mary demonstrates throughout this song that she is very well acquainted with Scripture. It's amazing as you read this. A lot of people say, well, she couldn't have spoken this in the moment. But what it shows us is that Mary was very well acquainted with what the Scripture says. She knew the story. And not only did she know the story, but she knew God's Word itself. And she quotes different parts of Scripture throughout this song. And so let's briefly look at this hymn of praise which has been passed down to us here in this Gospel of Luke. In verses 46 to 49... Mary first focuses on what God has specifically done for her. She says, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For He who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is His name. Uh, this is a hymn that magnifies her God. And she particularly takes notice how the Lord is, has taken notice of her. You see, unlike that custodian who was shunned by a co-worker, and unlike you and I who you have experienced those who have walked the other way, who have snubbed their nose, who have completely ignored us because we seemed insignificant to them, the Lord took notice of Mary. Mary takes notice how God had looked on her humble estate, she says. She calls herself a servant. Uh, she uses a word that, that also is oftentimes translated slave. Uh, in the feminine, a maidservant would be appropriate. Some of your translations might even say that. Someone who wouldn't expect to be noticed by the important people of the world. But we're told that God noticed her. The same God whom we've been studying lately who wants to dwell with His people. The same God who pitches His tent among us. The same God who, who came to their camp and said, I want to have a tent next to yours. Who promises over and over and over again throughout the Scriptures, I am with you. 
this God noticed a poor girl from the back town of Nazareth. And Mary notes that this handmaiden from a town off the main trail would now be called blessed by all generations. She'll be called blessed not because she was sinless, not because she was perfect, or because she had done great things, but specifically she tells us, and she tells her cousin Elizabeth, that she'll be called blessed because the one who is mighty has done great things for her. And so she declares, holy is his name. Verses 50 to 53, she sings not only of the things that God has done in taking notice of her, but she also sings of the great things that God has done for everyone. Let's read on. Verse 50, she says, And His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich He has sent away empty. And so Mary turns from one attribute of God to another. The same God who is holy is also merciful. The God who is completely set apart, different from everything and anyone that we have ever encountered or ever met. The one who is perfect in every way has come to dwell among His creation. And He's merciful. He's merciful to us in what and what led him to take on human flesh so that, that uh, he could dwell among us in a most spectacular way. But look at how the Lord reverses the things that mankind expects. You know, man, mankind expects that, that God is going to take notice of those who are good, of those who act the way we expect them to act, who say the things that we expect them to say. Mankind expects that the Lord is going to take notice of those who are rich, of those who are, have a high profile in society. But God flips those expectations. And we see, first of all, through Jesus, that there's going to be a moral reversal in the world and in the hearts of men. God is going to take the proud and He's going to scatter them. If you look around the world, you'll find many very proud of individuals, from football players to world leaders, from children to aged people around the world that are proud. They're proud of who they are. They're proud of what they do. And in secret thoughts of their minds, whether they're two years old or they're 82 years old, they elevate themselves, oftentimes to a position where they recognize themselves more than they recognize God. And Mary portrays a reality. This teenage girl, as she's contemplating what it means for God to come into this world, what it means for her to carry the Savior, what it means for her to raise the Son of God, Mary portrays a reality in which the proud will be humbled. And those who elevate themselves will be scattered. And this is true of how God carries out the salvation of individuals. God does not take the great ones of this world because of the accomplishments they've stored up, right? Rather, He takes those who, like Mary, have humbled themselves before the Lord and they've trusted in the death of our Savior Jesus Christ who sacrificed Himself on the cross. For Mary and those who came before her, they they looked forward to the coming of the Savior. And for us today, we look back and, and we see what that Savior accomplished on the cross. And we trust that He will provide the salvation that we need. One day, He will ultimately bring down those who are proud and, and He will exalt those who have humbled themselves before Him. But not only is there a moral reversal here in this passage, but there's also a social reversal in this in His kingdom. Again, look at verse 52. It, it's the humble who is going, God is going to exalt. 
It's a principle that Jesus taught his disciples and is passed on to us today in the New Testament writings. And God gives to us great grace. He gives great grace to those who humble themselves before him. One day he will lift up the humble and, and give them a great reward. There's often a contrast between the rich and the poor in Scripture. And the reason is that those who have been given more are oftentimes found relying on their own earthly possessions, their own strength, their own provisions, rather than putting their faith in Christ and the salvation that is offered in Him and, and that God gives to us and provides for us in every need, both physical and spiritual. But one day there will be a great reversal. And the injustice that, that has taken place for millennia of history will be corrected. It, it is those who have hungered both for food and for righteousness that will be filled. God does not exalt those who exalt themselves and consider themselves worthy of God's attention. He brings down the mighty. He exalts those who are humble. And at the birth of Christ, God came to dwell among us, we're told. He no longer was dwelling in a tent or in a temple that was made by human hands, but Jesus came to be among us, to live with us, and he did this to save all who would trust in him, whether rich or poor, whether those of humble means or, or proud, those to humble themselves, he saves. In the third section, Mary also praises God for what he does for Israel. Here is a girl who, who like other Jewish teenagers, she looked forward to the day that God would fulfill his promises to Abraham, his promises to David, and to the remnant of Israel. And like I said before, she, she knew the story. She knew the promises of God's word. And listen to how she states it in verses 54 and 55. She says, He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. There, there are a lot of people that get tired of waiting, aren't there? Aren't, don't they? Christmas morning, we, we get tired of waiting. The kids are like, when, when is it going to happen? We, they come in, they jump on mom and dad, they wake us up in the morning, except on Sundays when Christmas falls on, on, on Sunday and we're all here early on anyway, right? Um, people get tired of waiting for other things in life. And, and oftentimes people get tired of waiting for God's provision. We, Jesus will come back someday, Right? But consider it a, many consider it a long way off. They consider the promises of God long in coming. And so they go on with life and they fail to live in, in readiness, waiting for God's promises. But Mary tells us that God is merciful to Israel because he remembers his promises. He spoke it, and so he will do it. The Jews have been waiting a long time for this day. And as Mary contemplates these things, we see that the fathers had believed God's promises. The prophets had foretold of the coming of the Messiah. There were many who grew tired of waiting, but there were many others in this day who were continuing, continuing to read God's Word. They were continuing to study God's Word. And there were many who believed, and they looked forward to His salvation. And here's a teenage girl who was among them that considered those things. A teenage girl from a town down a forgotten road that gives us a reminder that our God is one who sees the downtrodden. He's one who seeks to dwell among us. Our God is one who exalts the humble, and our God is one who fulfills his promises. And so as you gather together today, as we gather with our families, you gather with your friends, as some of you travel, 
Uh, you're getting ready to hop in the car or on a plane to go see other loved ones. As you gather with your loved ones this weekend, let us not neglect to magnify him, to exalt him in the things that we think, in the things that we say, in the way that we treat one another, in the way that we acknowledge his presence, his existence, his work. Let us remember also the mercy of the one who's been born in a manger, but who died on the cross and then conquered death by raising himself from the dead. And let us celebrate not only that he came to dwell among us, but that he is a Savior who keeps his promises, and he's coming again. And may we be mindful through this amazing time that we are blessed, not because we're great, not because we've done something special, not because we've proved our worth before a holy God, but because, and not because of anything that we give to him, but because Jesus has done great things for us. And so let's celebrate that today. As the praise team comes forward, let's pray once again. Father, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who was born into this world. We marvel, we still marvel, just like Mary did and the shepherds did and Joseph did, the, the magi did when they came to worship. We all marvel at the work of your hand, what you have done for us. We marvel that you're mindful of us, that you pay, would pay attention to this, your creation that's rebelled against you. We marvel that you want to live among us, to camp among us, to take on human flesh and be one of us. We marvel that you've shown your mercy to us and that you pay attention to those who are humble. And so Lord, glorify yourselves in us this week, this weekend, this day. And as we remember the birth of your Son, might you be glorified in our lives and the way that we live out our faith and obedience to you. In Jesus' name, amen.